We all artists here. We all know how that how that world go. <laughs> yeah, but also we all artists here. We all broke yeah. as hell all the time. <laughs> so like, if you want a free copy, I can give you one. <laughs> and welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. And I'm Dylan. And we have another special episode featuring a guest for y'all this week. Uh, Whoa, we're super excited. We're super excited to have our friend Christine on the show. Christine, say hi. Hi, everybody. I'm Christine. Yay, we have Christine. Um, Christine, we've mentioned them before on the podcast. They are the game master and Gatekeeper. I guess ev- most they are most of the uh, the unexplored places podcast, uh, which Dylan is appearing in the current or yeah, next the current, arc of current the current arc. arc of it's got there. But Christine, why don't you tell a little bit more about yourself and about what you do and about why you're here? Oh boy! So I do. I wear a whole bunch of different hats. Like Chris just said, I am the GM of the unexplored places. Um, I'm also the GM for about a million other games <laughs> in my own life, uh, including one that I, I run for work. I get paid to run one, so that's fun. That's the dream. That's the dream. Holy cow. Yeah, there yeah it is. except that it's for, like, moody teenagers, but you know, it's fine. It's fine. Well, yeah, but that, that's um, when they, you get, get the, like, Karate Kid-esque redemption where, like, you lead them to the heroic climax <laughs> and then, the, like, the moodiest of them all crabs you and they're like, you're all right, Previs. Pretty much, yeah. That's, yeah, that's, we're almost there. <laughs> but, yeah, in addition to that, I'm also a game designer. I am, what else, a former theater person. I was a theater major in college with y'all, but I haven't done theater since. Fair. <laughs> And a video Same, game fan. Woo. That, that feels like everything, right? Yeah, Christine's also a millennial, which means that, like us, we all do everything. We uh-huh. all like comes what's, at deba- what's stability? <laughs> um, <laughs> but we are gonna take this week as sort of an opportunity to chat with Christine about game design and like how to how building a narrative works, both in the games that they design, but also in running like the mess that is an RPG where players have agency to ruin your stories and also we're gonna take the opportunity to follow up on the question that christine asked dylan specifically in last week's q a about the tales of uh the tales of series it's gonna and, be all about the tales of yeah, series we're, I, and for that part of the podcast i will be sitting by quietly and listening because i've played two of the tales of games kind every of. time we've talked about tales so far dylan and i have gone on for like four hours so who knows what'll so, happen i'm excited i'll be watching the clock <laughs> so i don't have to edit four hours of y'all i love you very much but i don't need that this episode I needs saw. to go up in three days <laughs> but yeah let's launch in uh with for those who haven't listened christine what is unexplored places so the unexplored places is an actual play rpg podcast currently we are Uh, using a game called Monster of the Week by Michael Sands, which is a Powered by the Apocalypse game. And right now our plot is about a group of young adult monster hunters in a rural Ohio college town, uh, and a sect of monster hunters who have disguised themselves as a non-denominational Christian youth group. (laughs) That feels like the best summary I can offer. I love it. First off, I want to point out that that makes three podcasts i am aware of all by kenyan alumni and all set in vaguely supernatural 
small town Ohio. Something <laughs> so. about small town Ohio just begs for that kind of content. Yeah. Like, Kenyon was haunted as hell. Like, oh, yeah. there's Kenyon. nothing. There was a ghost story for every building in that it's place. Phenomenal. At least. But yeah, so there's, there's unexplored places. There's also uh, the podcast that Dylan and I previously collaborated on with a bunch of our friends, The Magical History of Knox County. And now, as of two days ago when we were recording this, the there's a podcast out called Unwell, which is also by a Kenyan alum from like 10 years before any of us were there that I'm in one episode of that's also about haunted shit happening in small town Ohio. So like we're part Gotta of the brand. We're building Ohio. Yeah, we're <laughs> Ohio needs zest. Right um, now Ohio is mayonnaise, but see, we, can, I disagree. we can turn it into a nice aioli. A nice okay. a nice I zesty think Ohio aioli. Is already haunted and we're just like we're just processing giving voice to it. processing the things that happened to us there in a way that we will understand yeah. by making it about <laughs> monsters and ghosts and stuff. I love it. Um Christine, what's an actual play podcast? I'm taking the role of the audience who doesn't necessarily know what we're talking about. Well, gee, that's a great question, Chris. So an actual play <laughs> podcast is basically just a podcast where the audience listens to us play an, an analog tabletop role-playing game. There are a ton of them. There are like a million of them. And thankfully, they're edited down a little bit for content so it's not three hours of listening to a bunch of friends joke around at a table though there's a little bit of that Um, but for the most part it's using the tools of the role-playing game systems to tell a story tell a collaborative story um and and build that together with the people around the table um as opposed to something like a scripted audio drama in which case the story is generally written by one or two or a handful of people and then acted out by actors. Yeah, much more traditional sort of theater or film storytelling Mm -hmm. in that as opposed to an actual play where, like, you get a little bit of the mess and you get a little bit of the unexpected. Um, Yes, which are my very favorite things thematically in real life in general. And that's actually kind of the first question I want to ask you because it's something that like we were talking a little bit before we started recording. I really want to get into (laughs) running an actual play podcast at some point in the future when I'd like have more time to devote to it. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's a good joke, but (laughs) I guess when you sit down to plan out a story for the unexplored Mm -hmm. places, like whether it is you know, the big overarching story you want to tell or specific like, okay, how am I going to guide this one game session to something resembling a satisfying narrative arc? Yeah. Uh, what do you do? Like, what is your thought process when you're sitting down to like make your plan for this sort of organized chaos that is a game session? Yeah. So I think there are a couple of things that I generally keep in mind when I'm trying to plan. The first of those is that you can't plan very much. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. having four to six different players who all have their own narrative agendas, who all have their own, like, character ideas, and also who all have their own, like, comedic sense of how can I mess with this (laughs) to an extent. (laughs) Um, I, the amount of planning that I do is minimal and only the places where it's absolutely crucial. And a huge help with that is that the uh, Monster of the Week, like GM's guide, has a lot of tools for sort of helping to facilitate that process. So instead of 
saying, you know, here's what I want to happen. Um, here's what's actually going on in this town. You sort of set out a set of bare minimum. This is what the monster is. This is what can hurt it. This is what it can do. And then this is what it's going to do if the heroes don't interfere. Okay. And it's laid out in a sort of countdown format. So there's like step one, okay. the monster's going to do this. If the heroes still haven't interfered, then the monster's going to do this. And you give the monster a motivation. Um, I should have pulled the book up before we started talking. There's a really cool list of types of monsters. I'm going to stall while I pull the PDF yeah. up. No, no problem. To help you stall, uh, yes. you're almost, okay. this is interesting because you're almost doing like the work that an actor does in analyzing a script just without a script. Yeah, it's a you're little bit of that. You're coming up with, you know, rather than when Dylan and I are like, you know, looking at an audition side and we're trying to find mm -hmm. the objective and the tactics that fit the lines, you're coming up with an objective and like a series, you know, one could argue that those abilities you're giving it are tactics in, of a sort. And then using that, you're able to fill in the lines as you need to to respond yeah, to what yeah, the yeah. players are doing. Yeah, it's it's definitely very similar. So, for example, there are 12 different types of monsters, each with their own motivation. And any monster that you can think of fits into one of these categories. So one of them is, you know, Beast, whose motivation is to run wild, destroying and killing. One of them is uh, Executioner, whose motivation is to punish the guilty. Yo. One of them is okay. Tempter, which is to tempt people into evil deeds. And so you've got this list of, of monsters and their motivations. And whatever monster you're creating, you fit it into one of those. And that is going to inform what it does when your players get themselves into trouble with it. So for me, it's less about me thinking, here's what the monster's going to do. Here's what the monster's doing. And more saying... Here's what this character has done. Here's my, like, list of possible... Not even list of possible options, but, like, here's what I know about the monster. So I can very quickly on the spot come up with how it's going to react to that action. That's super cool. Okay. So instead that. of building out the plot, I build out the world in a way that makes it easy for me to respond to the input I'm getting from the other players. Okay. Gotcha. Which... In a way, means I cede a lot of narrative control over to them, which in terms of an actual play podcast where it's a product that people are going to be listening to, it helps immensely that I really trust everyone that I work with. Right. Um, <laughs> as opposed to like, you know, my Sunday night game of D&D &D with my coworkers where it doesn't right. really matter if they go way off track because everyone's having fun. We're actually yeah. creating something that needs to be entertaining and listenable. Yeah. But so no party rogues just going off doing yeah. whatever. Yeah. I mean, see, yeah. See how like the two most like the two biggest names that I can think of in like actual play as an entertainment format. See, Critical Role, which is a bunch of voice mm -hmm. actors like just streaming their whole D and D session and they're the like Adventure six Zone. hour long weekly yeah. D and D yeah. session. Yeah. And then like the Adventure Zone, which is much more of a like edited into a story sort of example like yeah both of those are people who have known each other forever in the case yes. of the adventure zone it's a family and in the case of critical role it's like friends who have people been playing have been D &D together for years, for years. Yeah. yeah yeah and that i think is is crucial because when you trust people that way things like mess and things like failure there isn't a fear factor around it there's yeah. sort of the idea that we can do whatever and we can trust the people around us and the people working with us to, to respond positively to what we're throwing out and also mm. to, like, to take risks I, in an interesting way. In, in the same way that when you trust a cast in a theatrical production, yeah. you're willing right. to take those character risks. I was going to say that. that yeah. You, talking about that got me so excited because, <laughs> like, that is the... 
Yeah. That's the dream for yes. an actor. Or for anyone involved in in putting all, together a stage production. Like, oh, 100%. As someone who directed yeah. several productions in college, like, that's the dream as a director. Yeah. You need to trust right. people. Yeah, like, so much of being a good actor, like, beyond technique and beyond training and beyond, like, prep work, is the ability to, like, hang your ego at the door yeah. and know that, oh, like, definitely. you're going into a room... And, like, it's going to be messy for a long time. And if everyone goes in with that mindset and is willing to, like, like you were just saying, embrace that mess and embrace, like, learning from failure and seeing what failure creates, like, oh, yeah. that's the dream. Yeah. And acting is fun because you get to do that in a room and then you get to fine tune it through a process and then you get to present it to people. Yep. Actual play is fun because <laughs> you do that in front of a microphone and then I go and edit like everyone saying um a thousand times out, but that's yep, about yep, it. Yep, yep. And then the whole internet <laughs> listens to it. Yep, I've gotten to the point where I can recognize Dylan's ums and uhs in waveform. Oh my god. <laughs> but like yep. you're I mean my me my like own this. too. I'm not I'm not here to I'm not here to put you on blast, Dylan. I do <laughs> no, it no, too and I, I know mine too. Um, <laughs> that's interesting. So your your job in like turning it into a piece of like consumable narrative is just as much on the back end as it is in preparation. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't do... I mean, the back end is mostly like, you know, we went off on a tangent joke about a college friend that we all had that no one in the audience is going to understand. I cut that. Or it's like... I'm cutting out the ums and uhs or the long pause where I have to look up a rule or or the Mm, pause before someone rolls the dice. It's less of... I'm moving things around so that it sounds like a more cohesive story or anything okay. like that. I okay. do very little mm-hmm. content level editing. Gotcha. What, what we say, you know, our discussion of rules tends to stay in because I like that it's because play is messy. It's, it's yeah. yeah. Um, and there's something really rewarding about that mess in an environment like that. Um, yeah. You know, if someone spends 10 minutes trying to decide which of several moves they're going to take, I might edit that down to six minutes, yeah. but I'm not going to cut it out to make it sound like a better story. I, gotcha. I think it does help that, you know, because you're trying to, the the people listening to the podcast, they're going to know that this is an actual play yes. podcast. So they're, they're not listening to it with like, tell me a story. Like they're, they're, I feel like there's a level where like they want, they want to be reminded that the people involved are playing a game and this is something that is being created out of a mutual enjoyment for all these different uh, mechanics yeah. and Absolutely. Uh, incentives. Which, in a way, makes moments of story tension and story payoff that much more rewarding. Oh, absolutely. Like, there is mm. There are some moments in some episodes coming up that Dylan was there for recording where <laughs> things pay off so perfectly and so unexpectedly that I could not have even, like, knowing where I wanted the story to go, could not have anticipated the story would actually end up there. For real, and, like, though. <laughs> there is nothing more satisfying than that feeling. I'm really, I'm, I'm really excited to, like, listen to this like playback i'm excited to hear what people think about it you also christine do some just sort of design of your own games as an example you recently released a game called 36 minutes that looks really cool thank uh, you i just love i'm I'm looking at our discord that we're using to mm-hmm. talk right now and i'm just seeing 36 minutes, <laughs> Six minutes. a solo game about dying in space <laughs> <laughs> and talk to me a little bit about the kinds of games you want you like to make and also like how did this come to be yeah yeah <laughs> i guess to talk about this specifically so this one was written for a very cool game jam on itch called the emotional mech jam which was all it was a collection <laughs> of rpgs about mechs or the mecha anime genre or anything mm-hmm. sort of related to that 
that was focused, rather than being focused on combat or action, like so many games are, was specifically meant to be focused on the emotions involved. Um, and any kind of emotion, it could be grief, it could be love, it could be mm-hmm. conflict, you know. If you, you know, if you just search uh, hashtag sad mech jam on Twitter, you'll find a ton of amazing threads about this jam. There were some incredible games made for this. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to make a one-person game that was just, like, really condensed, like, set kind of time frame. So the way that this game works is that it takes 36 minutes to play, and you have six six-sided dice set up in front of you, and you set a timer for a minute, and each time the timer ends, you, like, turn one of the dice over to count down to zero. Okay. Um, and for each minute, there's a question prompt that you are supposed to talk about um, yourself. Um, imagining that you're in this situation, which is that you are adrift in space, stranded in a broken mech that you cannot fix, and you have 36 minutes left of oxygen. Whoa. And so I it's the it. thought process <laughs> of what are you thinking about as you are facing the sort of inevitable you can see your life's end point in front of you on a timer and there's nothing you can do about it. And what are you thinking about thinking about in that moment? That's so cool. Um, I I don't want to give too much away um, because I, a couple of my play testers played it without having read any of the book before they started. Um, And I think that was like a really rewarding way to play for them because some of the questions are kind of unexpected, but the, it's broken down into six sections, one for each of the six-sided dice, and then each section has six questions, one for each side. Um, mm-hmm. And the sections are broken down into basically the almost the stages of grief. I'm Damn. so down Damn. for this. <laughs> and so, like, like the... I, I said this earlier. Uh, <laughs> go, go. No, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> like I, I said this earlier, but like this. This entire game jam is so damn cool. But, oh, like, it's a incredible! Game about like thirties, like. I, I watch a lot of mecha anime, and I fucking love the the pathos that, like, yeah. a lot of people don't talk about. So just the fact that there is a game jam, like, solely dedicated to that's that. That's so good. And there's a fucking, you made a game about dying in a <laughs> cockpit. That's so cool. I highly recommend every game that was submitted for this jam. There were over a hundred games, and all of them are amazing. Um, I, I have the tag pulled up. But I'm like, also the second you pretty fond that. of mine. <laughs> um... But the thing with this game is that I wrote this game in an hour, mm-hmm. and I, other than, like, tweaking the wording here and there in a few places to make sure things that made sense, I, I kind of, through playtesting and through editing, tried to keep it pretty honest to what I had written in that initial hour of just sort of, like, panicked flood of writing about what I was thinking about this, um, mm. because, again, it, it comes everything in my life, but specifically also this, comes back to, again, what I was saying about messiness and about sort of the honesty of unexpected things and of messy things and of failed things, which is really, like, my whole ethos, I guess, as a designer, as a player, as a writer, as a theater mm-hmm. practitioner back when I was one, is all about, like, the honesty of messiness. That's so good. And uh, <laughs> one thing that I don't know how much I've talked about on the podcast, but I've I haven't been doing so much of this recently, but for a while, when I first moved to Chicago, for the first couple of years I lived here, I did a lot of teaching artistry, mm, yeah. uh, specifically mm-hmm. doing theater and improv camps and like after school improv classes with really young kids. Like a lot of my classes were like kindergarten yes. through second grade yes. or like 
we're talking sort of this perfect age. I, I loved working especially with the really young kids because they were too young to be shy yet. Like, yeah. oh, that's when great. you're yeah. when mm-hmm. you're like seven years old and you're not yet getting to that point where you care so much what other people think about what you're doing. Like, those were the most fun kids to work with because they were willing to be messy and to try things. And like, mm. in particular, uh, there was a camp that I worked with for a couple summers at the North Light Theater here in Chicago. And we, uh, the camp programs that I worked for all culminated in final performances that would be done for like the parents and families and things like that but one of them it was like two week camp that was part of it was devising their own show Mm, so we would give the kids like here's a story or here's a myth or here's like a thing and now you're going to turn it into your own version that we are going to perform i feel like you might have told me some stories from this it it was really fun and like a lot of, like, funny stuff came out of it because, you know, they're creative kids and they're willing to, like, throw out really absurd jokes. Yeah. But it was also amazing watching because there's a lot of anxiety, even if you're seven or eight years old and you don't really have that, like, self-consciousness yet that we develop mm-hmm. in, like, adolescence. Yeah. There's still a lot of fear of, like, what if it's not good? And so my job there was really to be like, no, it's okay. It's gonna be messy. It's not gonna work right away. We're going to have to work at it over and over again, and that's okay. And watching these, like, kids embrace that was, like, honestly one of the coolest things I've ever gotten to do working in theater. Yeah, I had a similar, I was a a TA at a theater summer camp for a couple of years, and super similar experience with the, like, elementary age students, Uh, especially in contrast to high school students, where, like, the elementary school students were devising a piece based on, like, a book that they'd all read. And the high school mm, students okay. were doing a Shakespeare play. And every high schooler was like anxious, like so anxious, like perfecting their lines, you know, mm-hmm. really. And, mm-hmm. and so restrained in their ability to like take bold risks because yep. they, it needed to be perfect. And the elementary mm-hmm. schoolers were like jumping all over the place and like trying new things. They'd be like, I didn't think that worked. I'm going to try a totally different thing this time. I love and it. And it's I like, love it so much. it's incredible mm. to watch kids work that way. It is so inspiring and this like, is why arts education needs to be a bigger part of young oh like, yeah i mm-hmm. i could go on a long rant about that that's not oh, what yeah. this podcast is about but like <laughs> that suffice to say that messiness is beautiful and i i i really dig that you emphasize that in the games that you design mm. yeah i'm curious about envoy sure. i'm just look i have i have your itch page pulled up and i'm i'm clicking through it thanks and i'm very curious about what is Envoy, mostly because the cover caught my eye and now I'm reading like the blurb and I'm like, this sounds fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Envoy is, is really fun because I wrote it for uh, everything that I've published right now because all of my other projects are too big to ever finish at the moment. So they're all like really <laughs> that's small a, that's scale. That's a real mood. Written I, I for, really like, want to... I really want to see your Neo Yokio game. Oh, it's happening. I need a lot of okay. time. <laughs> that okay, I have yeah, not no. had much lately. <laughs> um, but so this, so a lot of what I've been doing is written specifically for jams or other smaller scale things. Envoy was written mm-hmm. for a, ch- a yearly challenge called the 200 word RPG challenge, which is write the rules of an RPG in only what? 200 words, plain wow, text, never no heard formatting. Oh, it's incredible. 200 word RPG dot github dot IO. And they get like hundreds of entries a year, and it, you know it's it's like 
zero formatting, zero, like, just, like, so bare bones. And so I wrote Envoy because I just read Ursula Le Guin's Left Hand of Darkness. Mm-hmm. And the, the like, setup of the game is that one person is the Envoy. So it's, like, a human who's been sent to this alien culture to learn about it and then report back to their own, to Earth, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, and the game works by that person asking, in turn each other person questions about their culture. But each different representative of that culture has their own agendas and has their own opinions. And so they can use their turns to, uh, you know, give the envoy gifts in order to gain more influence or bribe players into agreeing with them about how they see the world or, like, undermine something that someone else said so that the information the envoy is getting about this culture that's being created is, like not just information it's like super biased agenda driven information based on like the like cultural value that each person sitting around the table happens to have at that moment oh my goodness this is uh, I'm, I'm just this is going to be the dylan gushes about all these cool games <laughs> you're making now. yeah yeah this is super cool <laughs> thank you <laughs> I'm like, I'm thinking about the possibilities right now, but I'm like, shit, I gotta do a podcast. Okay, this, this game is just div- this game is just the act of devising. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. This, this game is just devising a story in mm-hmm. a much more fluid way, and that's that's really cool. This is collaborative world building in a competitive way. Yes, exactly. I, that's exactly I adore what it, it is. Oh my goodness. Why why is this so good? <laughs> so powerful if anyone wants you can uh get most of these for pay what you want on cprevis.itch.io <laughs> there <laughs> it is there's the plug was... definitely check this shit out y'all um um i was just gonna say real quick that i i'm noticing a trend here where like a lot of your games the mechanics and rules are asking the players to seriously consider about like who they are playing and like mm-hmm. what they're and i was i was thinking back to unexplored places with uh my character cassandra and how one of their abilities you had was like I I talk to spirits for divine information, which is so to cool. Me, but they have to ask me a question in return, and every time you did that to me, I'm like, well, shit. Now I got to make a strong character choice. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but like you know, not like oh man, that Christine, they really have it out for me. But more like <laughs> oh well, now I have to commit even harder. And like wow, I really and have it- to think about this character's yeah. like mind space we when i was directing in college we had a a catchphrase mm-hmm. for the productions i directed which mm-hmm. was we would always joke you know there's there's sort of the saying strong choice wrong choice yeah we <laughs> our saying was bold choice, bold choice gold choice gold choice <laughs> yep, yep and yep, that yep. is something i fully stand by in all of my gameplay all of my game design is like just mm-hmm. make the bold choice and it's gonna be great i was in i was in at least one of your shows wasn't i I am not sure you were. I, Dylan was in. Uh, I was in one, one that you directed. I was in, and Bear, then you were in the one that I, was, I wrote as well. Yeah. Were yeah. you involved in *You're in Town*, or am I remembering I that completely wrong? I stage managed *You're in Town*. That's what I'm thinking okay. of, because so, I, I had a, a small part in *You're in Town*. A little bit of my influence, but not yeah. as much as the other stuff I did. Um, yeah. I do feel like the product, the, the production of *Rocky Horror* that I directed in college is like my treatise oh, on so messiness. Good. That is like so good. what has what has become my entire like, <laughs> you know, your mo. Yeah, my whole I mo is an artist, basically. I love it. Um, that feels like as good a point as any to transition into what will probably be 
the other half of the episode <laughs> in which Dylan and Christine uh, gush about a game series they love and I serve as audience stand-in. So, uh, <laughs> Dylan, tell me tell me about the Tales series. All right. We talked a little well, bit about them a couple weeks ago. but About the Tales series. Yes, <laughs> uh, yes the, the moment you've been waiting for. As well my as whole, my whole life I've been preparing for this. <laughs> I'm just imagining you at age like 13 just playing, I don't know, Tales of Symphonia. Like, someday I'll be on a podcast where they ask me <laughs> and about I'll talk this. About... Podcast didn't even exist yet. I was like, someday. <laughs> I'll talk about Lord Yggdrasil's age of lifeless beings. <laughs> yep. Oh, my goodness. I was, All right. I was thinking about What the, do okay. these words mean? Because that means nothing to me. I have strong opinions <laughs> about the political tensions between Tethayala and Silverant, okay? <laughs> The audience wants to know what the fuck you mean. <laughs> oh, man, I have a couple friends who will love this segment of the episode. <laughs> um, okay, so as I think I probably said last week, the Tale series is a series of RPGs that started around 1996, I want to say, by Namco, the developer Namco. And I could I could go on about like a lot of the minutiae, but uh, I, I think the big part is... Uh, they, they are one of the larger JRPG series, and they've always had a reputation for, like, the characters don't, like, at first glance, they are, like, very, I don't want to say generic, but they are very stock characters, mm. and one of the things that, like, made this series so notable, um, especially with, like, its very devoted uh, but small fan base in the West <laughs> until recently, was that they are stock characters that have it, just a lot of dialogue to the point where, like, they get very flushed out and kind of grow outside of those uh, stock roles. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you want to add anything, Christine. Yeah, just half of the game functions as these like skits between the characters that you watch where they just talk to each other about whatever is happening. And like yeah. gameplay pauses and you sit there and you watch these characters talk to each other. And it's, it's like... So good. It's so weird coming from playing things like, I don't know, the other games I was playing when I was in middle school when I started playing these mm -hmm. games like Mario or whatever. Right, To have right. these characters just like, it's like I'm watching a TV show and then, oh, that's finished. I'm going to go back to fighting monsters. I, I remember when I was, God, I want to say I was in third or fourth grade and Tales of Symphonia was the cover issue of Nintendo Power. Mm -hmm. And I was just, I was reading through this issue of Nintendo Power and it, they were talking about how... Because, like, up until that point, like, the defining fantasy game of my youth was Ocarina of Time. But I was reading about Tales of Symphonia, and they were talking about how, like, there's a system where, like, you can assign different party members to cook yep. uh, different meals for you, mm -hmm. and that gives you different benefits. And there are these things called skits, like Christine was saying, where, uh, you know, something could just happen. You could talk to an NPC, and that could trigger a skit. Um, and it, it, it kind of turned uh, video games for me, like, from a genre where there are these virtual spaces you can explore like for me like i i really loved zelda and pokemon where i could just explore these towns and it added an extra layer of character and personality to it where you know uh, as a kid i was like wow it's like a show on toonami that you can play um <laughs> but like really it, it, it's kind of like that you kind of feel like you're watching a show as you're playing the game just through virtue of all of the interesting dialogue you can discover yeah it also yeah. helps that I assume, like most JRPGs, the plots are so incredibly complex, and also yeah. these are like thirty to sixty hour games. Yeah. Um, and like 
everything takes like a wild turn where you least expect it to. So that also compared to, you know, Zelda is, the plots are fairly straightforward, generally speaking. Um, Whereas with this, it's like, first you're like going on a mission for like the world's, uh, they've incredibly developed mythologies that are totally different from one game to the next. But like the like general form is like, you're on some sort of mission to do one thing and you know that the world is this way and then you get a third of the way through the game and suddenly your entire worldview is turned on its head because you find out a piece of information that like the entire public has been lied to by this big form of power and then all of a sudden your mission is like totally reversed from what it was at the beginning of the game and yep yep everyone yep. betrays uh, okay, everyone so I'm, I'm excited like so let's just jump right into soap one opera of the levels games. of trauma oh my god so it's almost uh, like they use these conversations they use these like breaks in the action to just watch people have a conversation as a way of grounding the story and the characters because otherwise the story is this big i don't want to say incomprehensible because like i have not played as many of these games and that has Mm. a lot of more negative connotation than i mean yeah the they use this to keep the story centered on these characters even as outside of it maybe it's getting too big for that kind of intimacy even when these like world scale plots that's so uh, smart, and I love that, and I wish more <laughs> games did it. Yeah. I, I will say, like, you know, some of my favorite games from other genres, like Final Fantasy VII, has one of my, I wouldn't say favorite stories ever, but, like, I, I think it does a lot of really neat things. I think the characters kind of get lost in the scale of the world, and it by the end of the game, it's really only focusing on one or two of the cast. Mm-hmm. Tales of Symphonia, when you get to the end, or not just Tales of Symphonia, most Tales games, like, when you get to the end, you feel like every character like has an arc that has carried through from beginning to end yes and every everything is so intensely personal to each of the like eight or nine different characters in your party by the end of the game yeah this honestly reminds me a lot of uh just to throw a parallel out there the uh one of my favorite games for the gamecube fire emblem path of radiance oh, yep, uh, yep, yep. yeah in which the Fire Emblem system games have a system that is referred to in the game as support, in which you can, like, designate a couple of characters as, like, having a relationship that translates to better stats on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When they are in close proximity, they will fight better. Yeah. Uh, but in Path of Radiance in particular, when you, like, cause characters to support one another in, like, the between-mission screen, that takes the form of, like, a brief conversation between the two of them. And, like, as you progress the same support relationship further and further, there's, like, actually a story built into those, like, three or four conversations that you can watch. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, in the middle of this, like, continent-spanning war that is the focus of the story, you can have these little, like, two, three, four-minute-at-a-time snippets of, like, these two characters, one of whom is, like, comforting the other on the fact that he's far away from his kid or something like that and it's like this great way of just bringing the humanity back into the story i uh i i'll get back to tales real quick but i i think you would appreciate this chris in one of the fire emblems for the game boy advance there is a character who has amnesia but like you know when when you he joins your party he has like maybe two lines of dialogue and doesn't Mm -hmm. say anything his entire backstory his relationships uh, like with his best friend and his sister, are all completely revealed only through the support conversation. I adore it. That's so and cool. Amazing. So um, good. <laughs> anyway, that was the parallel that I noticed about a game that I can actually talk about. Back to the action. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no, it's all good. I, I played a shit ton of Symphonia and Path of Radiance uh, back in middle school, so I can talk about both. But um, <laughs> anyway, right. So I, I guess like we were going to talk about like the stories of uh, various Tales games and kind of compare them to different playwrights or, you know, thematic gravitas. Yeah. Because we've been mentioning Symphonia and we started with Silverant and Tepeala, like, <laughs> you know, everyone knows what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> I guess we should jump to Tales of Symphonia. Yeah, let's let's go with that. <laughs> Symphonia was my introduction to the Tales series at like a As very critical time in my life. Yeah. So I will always hold a deep fondness for it. So um What's Tales oh, of Symphonia, guys? <laughs> here's another here's another important thing. Okay, so Tales of Symphonia was an RPG that was released for the Nintendo GameCube back in, like, the early to mid-2000s. And the basic premise of the game is that you are Lloyd Irving. You are a... You're pretty much an, an average dude in medieval fantasy land. <laughs> and, you know, your friend has... It's been known for a while, like, since her birth, uh, your friend Colette, she is designated as the Chosen of Regeneration. So what that means is that... Uh, by holy what uh, commandments? Yeah, holy proclamation. Sure. Thank you, uh, holy proclamation. Um, she is destined to basically go on a pilgrimage to become an angel and save, and the, world. save the world. Yes, uh, a lot of stuff happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, the the as the chosen of regeneration. That is her title. Her progress is impeded by a group of half-elves called Desions, and they don't want the world to be regenerated for some reason. And, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a very basic premise that, like, just by the end of the first act spins wildly out of control. <laughs> so much. Um, I mean, are we going... We, we have to go into spoiler territory, basically? We, we, we do. We do. Spoilers I mean, for Tales is, of Symphonia. The game is old. The game is almost as old as we are, and yet. Um, <laughs> there's, like, a... There's a character who tries to stop you, and she's, like, a weird, mysterious ninja, and she's trying to kill Colette. And then you, like, get in a situation where you actually talk to her, and she's like, yeah, so your world, Silverant, lives in parallel to my world, Tethayala, a totally different world. And when your world gets regenerated, ours gets fucked You're up. You're actually stealing all of the life oh, no. from our world. These two worlds are actually sharing lifeblood, and so each and one just, has like, their own chosen. And it just, passes back and forth between them like an hourglass, and the Holy act of shit. regeneration is what, like, brings it into the other world. And you get, like, shot out of a cannon into this other parallel world. And then you, like, go all over Tetheala, meeting people from there and trying to figure oh. out a way to save both of the worlds. And then on top of this, the whole, like, chosen of regeneration, you become a angel to save the world. Like, that's a half-truth. Uh, turns <laughs> out, like, all of the angels that have been guiding you on your pilgrimage are keeping a lot of secrets from you and, you know... They're also kind of fucking you over. Yeah, you become like a husk of a person who has given their entire being to this cause. You are and, like... supposed to be a vessel for their goddess. Yep. I see. And so, yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff that's happening. It's revealed over the course of like some 40 hours, so it's not <laughs> as much of a drop after drop after drop. Right. Um, and of course, split up nicely by like dungeon puzzles and like big fighting <laughs> dragon battles and, you know. Thankfully, this game does have a synopsis that you can open at any time to be like, all right, what the fuck? Yep. Just what, what, what just happened? What's going on? Where was I again? But you so, you, you mm -hmm. see why it's so important to have those character moments and that ability yes. to just like exactly. see 
a bit of a human story for a minute. Yeah, if yeah, you they... didn't care about Colette losing her sense of self and, like, you're you're her best friend who's supposed to be helping her. Like, if you didn't care about these things, the story would be meaningless. Yeah, like, there's a lot of stuff going on, but, like, I think what makes these games work is that, like, it doesn't focus on that too hard. It, it tries to keep it down. Like, you know, there's Lloyd. What does he want to do? He wants to find a way to help everybody. So that includes the parallel world that, uh, you know, will be doomed if we save our world. He He wants to help... There's even more stuff to spoil, and so, like, I'm trying not to, <laughs> trying not to get there, uh, but, uh, so now, we could do a three-hour uh, episode just on this one game, we could, like, to, to serve I, as I the know... guide and to serve as sort of the shepherd of this podcast that I have to yeah. edit later, yeah. um, so, no, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna what? move on, oh, sorry. I was just gonna, I was gonna throw out as possibly a thing for discussion, mm-hmm. Christine asked last week in our our Q&A episode what playwright Dylan would compare the Tales games to in terms of like general theming and like works as a whole Mm. and Dylan seemed to be of the mind that that would be very difficult to do because the Tales games were not all made by one person which like yes of course not yeah um (laughs) but for you guys is there a playwright or perhaps a work of either theater or filmmaking that you feel like is similar in theming or in like the way that it presents itself to Tales of Symphonia. I feel like there are like six different answers and they're all wrong in different ways. I'm like, in terms well, of complexity and scale, Kushner maybe? In terms Fair. of like the number of characters being juggled and like the intense personal dramas, like mm-hmm. Miller maybe? Miller or like Chekhov? Chekhov, yeah. <laughs> like a big yeah. Chekhov play? Thematically. Yeah, Chekhov in some ways thematically is harder dylan you mentioned this while we were getting ready but um yeah so each tales each tales game has a different like what's called a characteristic genre characteristic genres that's the phrase tell me more because y'all y'all said this before we started recording i said i made a tim allen noise and then y'all were like we'll get there (laughs) (laughs) okay so what the characteristic genres are is for like i i don't know if it's like a marketing thing or what but namco whenever they release a Tales game, they kind of, they release a subheading where it's like, it is this kind of RPG. It is this genre of RPG. Okay. Um, and it's really, I, I think it's their way of marketing it in, and this is only in Japan, by the way. This doesn't, yeah. they don't advertise them like this in America. And I don't think they've done it with the more recent games, but they uh, certainly check, did it. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page actually, for Berseria right now, which is the one I just finished. It says RPG of discovering your own reasons to live. Oh, that makes <laughs> which sense. Which I would argue, yeah. I would argue is that is the purpose of Tales of the Abyss, but whatever. Well, we no, Tales have, of the Abyss is more accurate, like more specifically. Tales of the Abyss is to know the meaning of one's meaning birth of RPG. Birth. Yeah. Which is like so like stuff like that. So Tales of Symphonia. So by genre uh, you mean existential questions. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Tales of Symphonias is RPG that resonates with you. Haha, <laughs> Symphony, get it? No, no, um, no, 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 no. <laughs> but sorry. like a, a huge theme, and I think this is kind of what solidifies like all of the weird disparate world ending crises that are happening in Tales of Symphonia, is that like at the end of the day, like, thematically, the thing that is tying all of these things together is that the success of one group of people leads to the uh, suffering or the torment of another. So you have, if Silverant is saved, Tethe Ala will start to die. 
um, there are half-elves that are facing, like, a huge theme of Tales of Symphonia is that there are half-elves who are persecuted, and the main villain is actually a half-elf who wants to kind of end it by taking away people's free thought, which, like, I, I know we're just spoiling the whole game, but yeah, it's it's been out for a while, so I'm not too worried about that. And it's hard, because I'm trying to think of, like, every possible angle I can play this, and I know that, like, <laughs> at the end of the day, I'm gonna have to just kind of drop it and move on. Because, just, you know, despite all of, like, the crazy stakes and crazy things happening in the story, the fact that, like, they built all of this around one theme that they slapped on the cover of the box, in Japan at least, yeah, is a really cool thing. And uh, I know we were talking about playwrights, but I, I thought, like, I should throw that in at some yeah. point. Yeah, well, in that, I mean, in that respect, it's almost like, thematically, because each game has a different central theme that way, we could either say that a playwright who does some sort of moral play would be comparable. Or we could say that, like, each different one of these quote-unquote characteristic genres lends itself to the work of a different playwright. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Tales of Berseria, uh, you mentioned its characteristic genre is RPG of discovering your own reasons to live. And what that means is, like, I just (laughs) finished... so much. I just finished beating this game, like, uh, half an hour before we started recording. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm worked up about it. But, like, (laughs) basically each character through the course of their own, like, subplot within the main plot, they're all about, like, you know, one of the characters is, like, a pirate, and his whole thing is, like, you have to steer your own ship. You have to be the hands on the wheel of your own, the ship of your own fate. And, like, the main mm-hmm. character is on this, like, like years-long journey of vengeance that she discovers partway through the game is, like, all for naught. Like, because mm-hmm. everything that she's been basing this vengeance on is not true, and she has to try to figure out what it means to to live her life without that driving force anymore. So each of these characters, like, has that different that different journey of figuring out what they're living for um, Mm -hmm. and what they were living for and like how they adjust that around this changing view of the world, I guess. I was going somewhere with that. I've been thoroughly distracted. (laughs) I was going to compare that to a playwright whose work is about quote unquote, (laughs) discovering your own reasons to live. And I don't remember who it was anymore. It was going to be like, it wasn't Sarah rule, but it was like one of the like Sarah rule esque. Oh, is it? uh, Maybe it was the guy I, hate probably not <laughs> no there's he's not a bad i don't player. talk about men a lot so probably that's not that's fair who's the the jerkwad who wrote like reasons to be pretty and forest dark and deep and oh i don't know his name um i mean that's labute yeah LeBute. i that's also don't name. like him was it annie baker it might have been annie baker that i was thinking of oh what plays i know that name the flick, I can't... uh circle mirror transformation specifically i was thinking about the aliens which is this play about like 17 year old kid who like stumbles across these two weirdos who hang out in the back patio of a coffee shop slacking their lives off and like playing guitar and like smoking and talking shit that sounds like the tales of berseria cast from what little i know of them (laughs) i mean basically but like the whole play is like him trying to figure out what like growing up means um and like trying to orient as he's becoming an adult trying to figure out who he is and these two guys with these like experiences that are so vastly different from his own like influencing and not like i don't say influencing as in he takes on their worldviews but like I guess challenging the things that he knows and helping him sort of figure out who he is that way, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's one of my favorite plays. I absolutely love it. And like, 
not something that I ever would have looked at. It's like a one set, like three people, like super stripped down, very basic play. Not something I ever would have thought to be like, that reminds me of one of the Tales of games. <laughs> and yet, like that central theme is, is like the heart of it is sort of there in the way that the Tales mm-hmm. games are so rooted in the dynamics between the characters and the way that they're differing objectives and worldviews push against one another and influence one another. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the, the flick is also a really good example of that because it's about these three people who have like nothing in common that yes, yes. learn mm-hmm. to be around each other in the course of it, in order to do the job that they need to do, which is running this movie theater. Yes. Uh, the flick yeah. is a great play. Go read the flick. Anyone out there who like wants just a really good, small cast play any of annie baker's plays honestly one of my favorite playwrights um (laughs) but yeah it's the same i mean the the tales of characters aren't even all like they're working towards a common goal for very different reasons i was actually about to say yeah um tales is really cool because while one final fantasy game did do this first i think i'll I'll get to that in a second um (laughs) The Tales games are really cool in that, like, since Tales of Destiny, which I think came out in 1997. That sounds right. Um, all, these, all these characters are pursuing a mutual goal, except plot twist, no, they aren't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, occasionally you will have a party member, and this is a Tales tradition, where you will have a party member that betrays the party and starts actively working against them. Um, By the second playthrough, you always remember to take all the good gear off of them before exactly. the cutscene where they betray you forever. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, other games have done this since, but I, I think, like, Tales really kind of started it. You could argue that uh, Final Fantasy IV in 1992 did that, but that character who betrays you did so because he was brainwashed. So mm, that I doesn't don't think count. that counts. That exactly. doesn't count the same it's way. It's less impactful if it doesn't alert. come from their own agency. Exactly. Yeah. That doesn't. Um, it doesn't have the same impact as when, spoiler alert, Kratos in Tales of Symphonia betrays you and also you find out he's your dad. He's your dad? <laughs> <laughs> I was, I've been replaying the game with a friend and I just got to that scene and I'm like, yeah, it's still good. Yep, yep still good every time. Um, I'm going when... to need to... Uh... I'm going to need to play these games. You, oh, yeah, you uh, do. And again, they're like a commitment. They're like 40-hour games. They are long-ass games. They are so um, worth it. Play them on easy mode. Yes. I won't tell anyone, but uh, I'm going to I'm gonna say a couple things. And uh, I, I really wanted to talk about Tales of the Abyss before we left, but I don't know if Chris will let me. No, that's fine. Anywho, oh, um, I would kill to talk about Tales of the Abyss. <laughs> oh, yay! Oh, it's going to be... It'll, it'll be a long episode. That's fine. I, I love you, Chris. Um, I love you too, okay, Chris. So... Keep, keep it as <laughs> concise as you can so that my editing brain doesn't die. Of course. Because I, I also work I every you. day between now and when the episode launches. As if an editor, I know upload... the feeling. Um, anyway. right. Talk to me about the abyss. Oh, God, I was going to say something about Kratos before we moved on, though. Uh, he betrays you. He's your dad. Um, oh, <laughs> Same. <yeah. laughs> um, okay, so when I, when I posted to you the... When I sent to you the video of Cam Clark, voice of Kratos... Uh, doing the reading poetry for Valentine's Day because that's yes. an actual goddamn thing that happened, Chris. Oh, so um, good. What? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I texted back my friend who sent me that. Oh, that's great. In celebration of Kratos reading me poetry for Valentine's Day, we're going to kill Zelos. <laughs> <laughs> and that is a joke that is only for Christine oh, and anyone no. else who's played Tales of Symphonia. <laughs> Oh, I've played that game four times now, and I, every time I'm like, who did I kill last time? I have to make sure I'm fair. <laughs> They're both my favorite characters. There, There is a critical moment in Tales of Symphonia where you have the choice of, because 
the characters Kratos and the character Zelos are both basically the same type of character. They're they're both swordsmen who cast magic. Um, you have the choice of having one of them on your team, but uh, if if Kratos joins your team, Zelos will betray you, and you have to kill him in the boss fight. Yep. Now that we've completely spoiled every twist <laughs> in Tales of Symphonia, go play Chris, the game. Go play it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's talk about tells me yeah so um, hot take as yes. much as i just talked about how tales of symphonia is my favorite game ever tales of the abyss is my favorite tales game you you just shot me in the heart with cupid's arrow because i fucking agree with you and i love it <laughs> I, I realized the other day as i was like thinking about this for this episode that mm-hmm. tales of the abyss inspired one of the major plot points that's just been revealed on the unexplored places which i don't want to oh, spoil really? In case any of your listeners have not, so I'm just gonna type it in the chat here. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, I almost I almost spoiled it, so I'm glad you said something. Hold on. Well, I, I I'll just I'll say vaguely. Ever since I played this game, I have been low key obsessed with characters who don't know who they actually are. Is what I okay. is what I can say without spoiling either of them. I guess. Rad. Well, we'll talk about Tales of the Abyss briefly because I I don't want to spend too much time i just want to say real quick that it is and i i've tried to tell other people this who've played abyss and like can't really get past the uh the main character's attitude it is impressive to me that when i was 12 or 14 years old i beat tales of the abyss did the new game plus and the second uh luke the main character uh, has his first line i'm like oh right we're back to this yep. he changes so drastically from beginning <laughs> to so end good. of that game all right and, but anyway to, yeah. to clue chris in really quick i'm sorry yeah, yeah. Um, uh as the audience i'm lost in turning <laughs> off the podcast right now no don't don't turn off the podcast <laughs> uh tales of the abyss is about um okay so in tales of the abyss everything is preordained by a prophecy i think i touched on that briefly last week um everything is preordained by a prophecy known as the score um, oh yeah like we did talk about this score. last week and so that that the world's kind of dictated by that but the main character Luke Luke von Fabra is his full name you're when you're introduced to him he's he's a young man who has really only remembers the last 7 years of his life when he was a tween he was kidnapped and when he's returned he has no memories and so his parents kind of coddled him and so he's like he lives a very sheltered life so he is very spoiled and he's very a total brat. He's entitled. An absolute brat. He is the worst. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, you, you play a lot of the game. An inciting incident happens. Uh, people do this, this, that. And so it is actually learned that Luke, the reason why he doesn't have any memories is not because he has amnesia. He is actually a clone of another character uh, who... That was the original Luke that was kidnapped, and the Luke that we've been playing as is a copy that was sent to replace more him, or basically. Less. Yeah, like he's kind of like I don't want to say a sleeper agent, but he like is a, like a body snatcher type, like a pod person. Yeah, it, he is a pod person. Okay, uh, exactly. And so his existence was not preordained in the score. So by all means, so he by, disproves like, God by the scriptures <laughs> of much. his. Well, he doesn't disprove God when when he fucking completely erases the prophecy god comes out and congratulates him at the end of the game <laughs> but uh so, to, to quote brian david gilbert's uh video about how all sonic games are heretical either he is a god or he could kill god and i do not care if there is a difference <laughs> exactly god i love these uh, games 
they're so good um but but yeah no so the characteristic genre title of tales of the abyss <laughs> is discovering the meaning of life rpg or uh, i think it <laughs> was originally uh, was like knowing the meaning of one's yeah birth. wikipedia says oh to god. know the meaning of one's birth rpg yeah oh my god um, I'm, I'm on the uh official tales uh wiki um but, <laughs> i can hear you pushing you know, I... your glasses up your nose <laughs> good because i i did motion that. and i could i could see i could see the anime glasses flash oh, yeah. <laughs> through through the audio interface that we are using <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so <laughs> I, I I I wanted to bring up Tales of the Abyss because my favorite thing about it is the main character Luke von Fabra. Um, I could talk about the rest of the cast, but for sake of brevity and because I love you, Chris, I will not. Um, it's it's really funny, or not funny, but like it's really interesting because uh, you you kind of this character goes from a transformation of you know being entitled and not thinking critically about anything to. Um, thinking that, like, he has a very specific purpose, because at that point he still believes that he is the original Luke von Fabra, to having a complete existential crisis, um, (laughs) thinking that, like, because he's like, oh man, I stole the original Luke's life, um, what am I? Do I even have my own agency? And the end of the game is he's, he's talking to the final boss who created him, and he's like, I don't care what you think about me, I'm here for myself, I am alive right now. And that's all I need to do. Oh, that's rad. It is such a complete character arc because it's not like the incident happens and then boom, he is changed. He actually has to struggle to change. He has to struggle to like change his preconceptions of like what he can do and who he is. And I, I fucking love it. Yeah. <laughs> that's so And cool. I, I, I wish I could compare this to like any I, other character. But I do want to, I want to jump in here because this is not a playwright. We're going to, I'm going to get a little bit loose that's on fine. the, uh, that's fine. The, the question but there is a theater company here in chicago called looking glass theater um they are if they are known outside of chicago it is for some of the plays that they have helped to create uh there's a playwright named mary zimmerman who is famous for doing adaptations of works of myth or works of folklore she's done really cool adaptations of like the arabian nights she did an adaptation of the metamorphoses uh, and Looking Glass is where she does a lot of, like, the first stagings of these shows. But they are very into devised theater. They're, I don't think I've ever seen them put up a show that wasn't in some way, like, we did our own thing with this. And we, like, as a company, created the version of this show that you are going to see to the extent that they will go so far as to, like, completely rebuild their the interior of their theater space for every show to change the audience's means of inter- of like consuming the theater. Mm-hmm. I saw one production there that was about vaudeville. Like it was about a vaudeville show and about a pair of vaudevillian performers. Uh, and they turned the theater space into like a cabaret with like mm. table seating. Okay. And the play happened both on stage and around the tables. And like the way that you're talking about this sort of like grand concept for each of the Tales games. That what what was the term? The characteristic, characteristic genre. Characteristic genre, yeah. Puts me in mind of the way that Looking Glass approaches their shows of like, we know the kind of story we want to tell and we know how we want the audience to feel. And now let's do everything we can to create that. Not mm-hmm. just in the performance, not just in the state in the like 
play itself, but in the staging and in the way that you are interacting with it. And I just, they're one of my favorite theater companies. I would love to work with them one day because like big dreams. Um, But like that, that feels very similar to at least how you are describing the way that the Tales games sort of present their ideas. Mm. Yeah. Maybe I'm completely off base. I see what you're talking about. It's actually kind of funny because like when I'm looking at like some of the earlier uh, characteristic genre titles, it's like Tales of Fantasia, legendary RPG. <laughs> <laughs> Tales of Destiny, fateful RPG. They phoned but, those like, in. <laughs> I, yeah, but like I think it's because they didn't come up with that until much later. But like, right. you know, yeah. I think... You know, the later ones, as, like, the series kind of etched out more of its own identity, mm-hmm. you know, they, they kind of, they want you to look at these stories and these characters and the trials and tribulations that these characters are going through and think about, like, what that struggle means to you more so than, like, these two worlds are in alignment, and if one succeeds, the other fails. Like, that's fun, and that, that adds to the drama and the stakes of the narrative, but I, I think what makes these games special for a lot of people is that, like, they are very personal and they market themselves as such. That's really cool. And that also feels like a very nice coda. At yeah. which I think so, too. To wrap this episode up. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of Backstage Gaming. And thank you to Christine for joining us. Uh, Christine, where can people find your stuff so that they can consume more of your media? Absolutely. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at cprevis. Uh, you can find my podcast, The Unexplored Places, uh, on Twitter at unexploredcast or uh, unexploredcast.tumblr.com. And you can find the games that I make at cprevis.itch.io. Thank you. We Everyone should go click on at least one of those links. Uh, you, you heard me gush. Yeah. <laughs> I, they, I don't get excited about everything. I'm Arguable. I know. Um, <laughs> I know. Shut up. But... <laughs> Thank you again, Christine, for joining us. It was super fun. Yeah, thank Uh, you for having me. Yeah, no problem. And thank you, audience, for joining us for this week. We hope you enjoyed yourself. As always, we have been Backstage Gaming. You can find us at bsgpod.com. There we have bios for me and Dylan. We've got a contact page. We've got all of our episodes available for download direct from the podcast source. And we're also on a bunch of social media platforms that Dylan's going to tell you about right now. Always. Um, So, you know, you can check us out on Facebook. Uh, You can find our Twitter at BSG underscore cast. That's our handle. Um, You can find us on YouTube. And if you like what we're putting down, you can talk about us with hashtag BSG pod. Also, if you like the character artwork that we use for our thumbnail, our header image, all that good stuff. The only image we own. Yeah, the only (laughs) image we own. We got to commission more art, pay your artists. That was done for us by our friend Brendan French. If you like that artwork, you can check him out at his Squarespace, brendanfrench.squarespace.com. That is B-R-E-N-N-E-N hyphen French.squarespace.com. He also has an Instagram, which we really need to add to this page, but whatever. Brendan French Arts. There it is. Brendan French Arts at uh you know on instagram on instagram thank you you should also go check out our friend bio query he is the musician behind our theme song dot sound radio volume one instrumentality he's also just a really cool musician in his own right and he has recently released a new ep titled post-human angst that is like an absolute banger and i've been listening to it on my runs recently like it's really cool and very strange but that is available on wherever you get your music uh so apple music spotify napster is napster still a thing i don't know why i suggested Lime napster 
<laughs> download download posthuman angst to your zune uh, oh my god but you can also find him at his soundcloud which is soundcloud.com slash bioquery that's soundcloud.com slash b-i-o-q-u-e-r-y and check out unexplored places to hear some dylan check out uh unwell a midwestern gothic mystery which just released episode two today uh thursday the 21st that we're recording this uh if you stick through that all the way to the end you get to hear me scream a lot so that'll be fun and (laughs) i can't as always thank you so much for tuning in we hope you enjoyed yourself and we'll talk to you next week bye goodbye Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 